Yeah, I'm having a little bit of uh, 125 Elijah Craig uh, grenade. I'd, I'd drink with you. This is like the second night in a row I haven't drank in like 10 days. So I need to take it easy. <laughs> Hey everyone, we hope you had a fantastic Thanksgiving and now you're back and ready to start mixing some bourbon with your eggnog leading up to Christmas. Our Black Friday and Cyber Monday sale is gonna keep going on just a little bit longer to allow any of those stragglers who wanna get their hands on a Bourbon Pursuit t-shirt, koozie, and stickers for $35 shipped to your door. If this sounds good to you or maybe any other special bourbon love in your life, send us an email at theduo, T-H-E-D-U-O, at burnpursuit.com, or reach out on social media on Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram to make your purchase. We are completely sold out of the Devil XLs and only have a few remaining of our other sizes for both men and women. And once we're out of those sizes, we are completely out. I want to say thank you to everyone that has taken the time and filled out their Bourbon Pursuit audience survey. This is going to be a great help to us as we continue to grow the show by knowing our audience more. Or remember, we're also giving away a $50 Amazon gift card to one lucky winner. So please take the three minutes to fill it out at bourbonpursuit.com survey. With that, enjoy this week's episode. And they're off for another Get 270 2020 Unicorn Raffle. Your $20 ticket gives you not one, but two chances to win from our lineup of 20 Woodford Reserve treasures, including the grand prize, the rarest unicorn yet, the Woodford Reserve Kentucky Derby 150 Baccarat Edition. Only 150 bottles were made and is just like the one the Derby winning owner receives. Quit horsing around and get your $20 tickets now at give270.org. Charitable gaming license ORG 0002703. Ed Bly and Rising Tide Spirits are back again with a new release of Old Stubborn Bourbon. And this release of Old Stubborn is a premium hand marriage of 10, 11, and 12-year cask drink, barely filtered pot still bourbon. It comes in at a staggering 123.8 proof. And the flavoring grain for this one, which the last one was weeded, but this time it's now rye. Rich, sweet, and bold with a long finish that's sure to be another eye-opener. You can order online at Sealbox or thebourbonconcierge.com and you can even purchase in person at Revival Vintage Spirits and even now with very few select stores in Kentucky. You can get it now while you can, but be sure to do it because it's not going to last long. Do you ever pour yourself a bourbon, swirl it around, and then start struggling to come up with tasting notes? And perhaps you're also looking for a good Father's Day gift idea. Well, you can now solve both with a kit from Nose Your Bourbon. And unlike other nosing kits on the market, Nose Your Bourbon kits feature real ingredients for the most authentic aromas. You can smell real Tahitian vanilla bean instead of some synthetic aroma that's just made from chemicals. So head on over to NoseYourBourbon.com and enter code BP10 for 10% off your order. From their bar to yours, Chad and Sarah of the popular YouTube channel It's Bourbon Night bring you their favorite at-home old-fashioned mix with the new Elemental Elixir's Golden Hour Syrup. It's a custom-made syrup with notes of bold black tea, warm spices, and orange zest. All you need is your favorite whiskey and ice. No bitters needed. One bottle makes 16 drinks, so that's only $1 cocktail before you add your own whiskey. They can also be enjoyed in other cocktails or spirits, mocktails, coffee, tea, and anything you can think of. It's crafted locally in Lexington, Kentucky, and you can get your bottle now at whiskeyambitions.com. 
Welcome back to an episode of the Bourbon Pursuit, the official podcast of bourbon. And then I think I might start making a new tagline because we've used that one a lot. And, you know, I think uh, there's been a lot of movies with The Rock out lately with Dwayne Johnson. And if everybody remembers back in the days when he was the uh, the WWE, the people's champ, I might start calling this the uh, the people's podcast because the people podcast of bourbon because people just love us. And uh, I can't say thank you enough to all the great fans out there that do support and they love this show. Uh, so this actually, this is gonna be a fun episode. So just Kenny here tonight, riding solo. Ryan can't make it. He's actually with the kids tonight. He's uh, he said he couldn't get off uh, for a few more hours because of uh, wife texted him. He just couldn't make it. But this will be a good one because uh, you know I know the guest personally tonight. I've known him for uh, about a little bit over a year now. Uh, not only that is this is going to be an interesting show because at multiple times people have always asked and they want to know about. Things like who is the Bourbon Cartel? Who is the Bourbon Mafia? Who are who is 1789B? Like who are all these groups, and how did they get formed? And either you know how can they be a part of it? How can they start their own group? And so this is going to be um, you're going to be learning tonight from one of the people that uh, was very beginning, kind of started it all. And so I'm I'm very happy to welcome to the show Eddie Noel. So Eddie is a member uh, and the owner, I guess, and the leader of a group called the Bourbon Cartel, which is also a group that he graciously invited me into. So you got two members of the Bourbon Cartel on tonight. So Eddie, welcome to the show. I appreciate you having me on, Kenny. So before we get into talking about groups and everything like that, I, I kind of want to let people get an idea about just who you are. So, uh, you know, when did you get into bourbon uh, and, you know, really figure out like, oh, there's a there's an idea here that we could start creating groups that are dedicated to this sort of stuff, too. Well, I think uh, probably one of the um, my first experiences with bourbon was back when Maker's Mark, back in 1993, came out with the uh, blue Maker's Mark wax bottle. Uh, they kind of started all the trend of the different colored wax top bottles. And I really didn't, per se, drink bourbon at that time, but I really thought it was a cool concept with the uh, different wax, you know, colored tops and stuff. They started doing stuff every year with different colored wax, you know, doing um, charity type things with those. And slowly I started, you know, trying bourbons and kind of developed a, you know, a palate and a taste for different bourbons and stuff. So the longer and stuff that I, you know, was into this, you know, I think my palate kind of developed a little bit for more of the, you know, different bourbons and the finer bourbons and stuff as we're talking about today. So that's kind of a little basically how I got into everything. I mean, I think we all kind of get hooked in at the very beginning to Makers because it's got that iconic red wax and you see it on the shelf and you're like, oh, man, this looks great. And then all of a sudden you start learning about, yeah, like you said, like all those, uh, quote unquote, limited edition bottles where they come out with a different colored wax or different theme and stuff like that. So how far back were you going, uh, like collecting those? And do you still collect them today? Well, actually, I started back you know, with the blue wax back in 1993 and probably up until a couple of years ago, I had amassed probably, probably two or 300 bottles of different colored waxes. And slowly I've been kind of getting out of those because I never did crack them open. And my bar down in my basement was running out of room. So <laughs> I had to <laughs> kind of slowly start selling things off a little bit, little by little. Plus, you know, I was more, I, the more I was into it, the more I was into the drinking part of bourbon instead of collecting and so I started, you know, kind of, you know, selling that collection off a little bit and then either that or trading it for other bottles that I could drink. 
Yeah, you kind of sound like me because you know I was I was doing the Maker's Mark thing for a while, not '93 by any means, right? I think I think one of some of my first bottles were in the like the beginning of the 2000s, maybe like 2005, 2007. Uh, I remember getting a lot of the uh, UK memorabilia ones, you know, when they win championships and stuff like that. And then I think the past like it was it was probably like two or three years ago. And I, it might have been the Tim Couch. It was actually I know it was after the Tim Couch bottle. It was it was at the it was I think my breaking point was the Dan Issel bottle when I realized it's like when I realized like now they're just they're really stretching here and they are creating like fifty thousand bottles of it. So it's not even like collectible anymore, right? It's it's just kind of like right. just it's just something that you just look at. I mean, I think uh, when you look at like what they did with the American Pharaoh bottle this past year, where you could still go and find it on shelves and stores like all around the state or even throughout the country. Right. And I just remember when they were releasing it uh, on the first day, everybody, everybody rushed out to go get it. People were trying to sell them uh, the day after. And then now it's just a huge influx in the market. So I think. Well, the, and, 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 and believe it or not, you know, a lot of guys that are just getting into bourbon now, they are kind of going back where we started years ago and they're trying to amass these bourbon collections and stuff, you know, which includes the makers bottles, you know, with the different waxes and stuff. So um, they're, they're kind of newbies to the field and they're, they're, they're just getting started on, you know, one of their passions. So, yeah, I'm more than happy to sell some of like the past few years of Keeneland bottles. I got sitting down there that are signed. It's just like, I think there's only like four bottles that I care about other than that. Like, Honestly, the only one that I'm really holding on to is that Calipari bottle because he has it signed and he's getting the national championship. I'm just waiting until the day like he gets inducted into, you know, a big Hall of Fame or something like that. And then maybe it'll be worth something one day. Right. But yeah, I've so. got uh, I've got the original blue wax one, which I, you know, first bought. And then I, the hundred year uh, bottle uh, that they sold for a thousand dollars a bottle um, that was uh, like with a blue and white wax, I think. And then later, I think it was dipped on with gold on top of it. It had three different waxes as a kind of a second edition. But those are probably two of my, you know, bottles that I'll probably never get rid of. Yeah, I'm with you on that one. So let's let's kind of get back to topic here and uh, let's kind of dive into okay. it. So, so you know, I think the one thing we have to explain first, you know, people we talk about these groups and they see some of these bottles that pop every once in a while. But explain just like what in essence, and it could just be the blanket dumbed down version but what does a barrel picking group even do well basically what i wanted to do was get a group of guys together because the what i saw the trend going in the secondary market right now was the prices were going so high for all of these different bottles that were being put out by the distilleries and you know they would come out at you know retail at the gift shops or or, you know, in the stores or whatever. And then all of a sudden, if it was a a good bottle that, you know, people determined it was a good bottle, you know, it could sell for, you know, $50, $60, $80 at retail. And then all of a sudden they walk out the door and they're in the parking lot posting it for three, four, five hundred dollars And I'm like, well, you know, this is really, you know, um, kind of going to pot on being able to afford good drinking bourbon. So my thought was, was to get a group together of guys and actually go to the distilleries, kind of pair yourself with some stores that had already had uh, barrel picks and stuff uh, at the distil certain distilleries and go in there and pick some of the best bourbon 
that you'd ever want to you know bottle and drink, and you would get it at a fair price. And I, I think that's where the the trend and stuff nowadays is going is, you know, barrel picks are getting to be uh, very good. Uh, again, you know, the picks are dependent on the pallets and the guys that are picking it out. So you've got to be very selective in your groups and stuff on, you know, who you've got going on these barrel picks. Absolutely. And I, not only that is, I mean, we've talked about on the show before that barrel selections are starting to be a good avenue for people to start, you know, if they want to start getting a, a good collection of, I want to say hard to find bourbon, but they, it's it's good bourbon that's been specially collected. It's or picked out. It's nothing that's just the, the run of the mill stuff that you're going to find on the shelf of your liquor store. So it's unique in that aspect that you get to try something a little bit different. Uh, I will say, you know, being a part of this group and, you know, uh, you know, having you set all this up, you know, the fact that you get to go and pick it even like has a, a more special or deeper meaning to it. And I think that's that's something that, you know, if you get to do it, you're like, oh, shit, I, I want I want 12 of these bottles. Right. So I think it, it has more of that connection to it. <laughs> so, uh, you know, before we get into some more of this. Talk about some of your history with barrel picking groups, because, you know, you've you've been in a, a few before this and you've helped form them. And I, I kind of want to set the premise of the show to say, like, you know, if you want to go out there and you want to form your own group, like how do we create a blueprint for this or how do we figure all this out? So kind of talk about your history uh, uh, with with doing this as well. Well, basically, this started back in um, August of 2013. Um, I was one of 12 guys that uh, started uh, another uh, organization, bourbon organization. I wouldn't per se call it a barrel picking group. I think it was more of an organization that uh, wanted to get into barrel picking. Uh, it was called the Bourbon Mafia. And, um, I mean, it was a great group of guys and stuff. You know, we started out and everything. You know, I, I want to go out and, you know, kind of get my own group of guys together and handpicked by me. Um, to where, you know, I ru- actually run the group and I get, I, I, you know, can get the barrel picks and stuff for the group and stuff. And it's real hard sometimes to get a, you know, a group of, group of guys and stuff together that all get along or that all have the same taste and the palates and stuff. Um, so that's where you kind of got to really um, trust, I think, the guys in your group. You know, it, it's been a long labor of love and stuff for me trying to do this and, you know, get barrels and do stuff that's actually going to really taste good and that everybody in the group likes, you know, knock on wood, this, this, um, group of mine now, um, which is a barrel picking buying group, uh, the bourbon cartel, uh, we've got 30 great guys in the group. You know, they're from, you know, 12, 13 States. And we basically talk on a daily basis. It's uh, it's, it's been a great ride so far and I'm hoping it's going to extend out for years to come. Well, good. So you've been into it for, you know, five years plus now of just, you know, doing this sort of stuff. So you've got a lot of different barrels probably underneath your belt of stuff that you've picked in, right? Well, we've uh, this year and stuff, uh, the the cartel and stuff has been together. Uh, it was a year. Uh, I, I think I started it in April of 2016. Been together a little over a year and a half now. You know, this last year, you know, we've been very fortunate. We're going to end up with probably right at eight to nine barrels, you know, pretty much unprecedented for a, a group and stuff of 30 guys. There's several other groups out there, 1789B and Fifth Column and BIB group. And, you know, those guys have got probably several more members than we've got in our group and stuff. But uh, I think we've uh, we've done very well for our, almost our first year in, you know, in business here. 
Okay, cool. So let's think, uh, not that I'm going to do it, but let's say like Kenny's going to break off and we're going to make the, the bourbon pursuit barrel picking group, right? Kind of give me an idea of like, what's the mentality I have to know going into this? Like it, you know, is it hard? Like how difficult is it to try to, you know, I got to find, I got to, you know, let's say it's like Ocean's Eleven. Like I got to find the engineer. I got to find the acrobat. I got to find all these different people. So kind of like talk about the mentality of what it is uh, of actually going into this and the type of components that you need to make it successful. Well, first of all, um, it always helps to have really good members in your group that's got a lot of contacts or that knows stores or that has a good reputation with stores that already have barrel picks and stuff with certain distilleries. You're talking Four Roses, Buffalo Trace, um, you know, Wild Turkey, you know, just the name of the top of the few. I go to pick members in the group and stuff. I always I know a lot of people by name and a lot of people I've known through the years since then. I always ask them, I say, you know, you know, in order for you to come into the group and stuff, you know, what do you feel like you can bring to the group? Then I kind of get references on the person. They got a good palate, how long they've been in the bourbon industry. And then, you know, we set up um, through the store, we go and set up a barrel pick with the distillery. And generally it can be anywhere from three barrels to 10 barrels. Uh, Obviously the more barrels, that you can taste to get a better selection from the better because you may have three barrels that are they pulled out there for you to taste and you know not not one of the barrels may not be good so we're always I always tell the guys when we go into these uh, barrel picks and I always attempt try to attend all of them myself uh, be prepared to walk away because if there's nothing there or if they're not willing to go get any more barrels then you know we're not going to just buy a barrel just to say we bought a barrel. We're only going to buy the best that we can do. Right. So, I mean, in, in regards to that, you know, you talked about some of the people that you want to have connected to the stores. I mean, does it help to actually have liquor store owners like in the group as well to kind of alleviate a lot of that? Well, I got to go talk to my liquor store. Like, I don't know. Like, we'll see what I can, we'll see what he says. So how, what's the kind of like a good ratio of the kind of people you want to find? Well, I think, you know, it's it's always good. You know, I mean, you just said it. I mean, it's always good to have uh, members in your group that you know own a store or or that are friends. You know, with a with a store owner. Uh, just happens that the Bourbon Cartel. We've got two store owners in our group. I do a lot of uh, phone call work and email work myself. And then when I get the connection, you know, I always try to uh, see if there's a uh, owner store owner that you know can uh, get us into the distillery go ahead and do the barrel picks there. So I guess uh, another question that, that brings this up because, you know, do you find it difficult? Like what, why would a store, what, what does a store benefit out of actually having the group go do it and then taking the barrel versus they can just go and just keep it for themselves to sell their own store. So like kind of explain the, the trade-off there. Well, the, the trade-off is, is that especially if you know, uh, again, either myself who I've got a lot of contacts or uh, members of the group, have uh, good store contacts, they uh, pretty much would trust that person to bring in people to actually have good pallets and to do their store picks for them. The benefit for the store is, is that they get good bourbon. I mean, really good bourbon. They, you know, they've got, you know, four or five, six good pallets there that are going to agree on one barrel that they're going to put in their store that, you know, more than likely they're going to probably sell out of within two or three weeks. It's been before to where we do, uh, you know, when we do the go in with a store to do something that we do a half and half, we do a half uh, bottles for my group and half bottles for the store. 
which they they more times than not they want to put their logo on their bottles and of course you know my group you know we want to have our logo on our bottles too as you know as a bourbon cartel pick and they may also too uh want to go in jointly and have say you know this is xyz store selection with the bourbon cartel so you know there's several different ways and stuff that that can be done I mean, I, I kind of see that as a as a good benefit to a lot of liquor store owners uh, because a, a a few things, right? So you have uh, the ability to to kind of look at a, a group of individuals that are established that have the connections that have can get a few people there and can actually go and choose a good barrel uh, because it actually happens like uh, there's actually a, a liquor store here in Louisville where they have a bourbon round table or I forget what they call it bourbon something. It makes up. It's by Mike Veach, uh, and then the Bourbon Babe, and um, uh, another name slipping my my uh, top of my head here. But they do all the barrel picks for the entire store, and right. so it is. It is. It's in their benefit to have these people with this um, with these titles to actually go and do this, and that actually helps sell more of those bottles in their stores and stuff like that. Right. So I could definitely well, actually actually too actually too if if you if your group has really come up with a name for themselves. Let's take 1789B and stuff. You know, you've got a couple of uh, guys out of that group and stuff, and they put their name on a bottle, hands down, that thing is going to sell out in no time. So, you know, that's the benefit for the stores. And, you know, I, I don't know that they do store picks or whatever. I don't know a whole lot about that group. You know, that's just kind of an example. So I guess this also kind of falls into the next question about, you know, the type of members that you want in your group. Um, you know, you already mentioned that you are this group that, you know, that I'm in as well, that it has the cartel has members in 13 or 14 different states. Uh, so it's not necessarily that they all need to be um, within the same area. So is there any, uh, I guess you'd say positive or negative by having people spread out and diverse that aren't in a central location or something like that? Well, I think the main thing is, I mean, yes, it does help because, hey, let's face it, Kentucky is, you know, bourbon capital of, you know, the country. I've got 30 guys in the group from, you know, I think it's 13, up to 13 states now. The benefit of that is, is that if those guys in other states have stores that want us to come and do picks from, they may have multiple contacts for other distilleries. And I don't know if you want to get into craft distilleries or not, but a lot of that is where things are going now. You get you take your wild turkey, your buffalo trace, your four roses and all that. Well, that's all fine and dandy. But some of these craft distilleries are putting out some daggone good bourbon right now. Mm -hmm. So you get an opportunity to actually, uh, you know, get outside of you know the Kentucky realm. But I guess it also does help to have members that are in Kentucky, especially for stores that are based in, I don't know, Wyoming, Colorado, west of the, west of the Mississippi, that they're not necessarily going to be flying here to choose the barrel or they are limited to the samples just being shipped to the store. And then they have to right. just. And, all, and, and, and what that would do would be if they trust the per again, the trust our member enough, then we could actually, they can actually set the barrel tasting up for our group here in Kentucky. Let's say at wild Turkey to go and actually pick the barrel. And then they don't actually have to come in. I mean, some of them choose to, some of them don't then, you know, they've got a great group of pallets and stuff that's going and choosing their bourbon for them. Right. So, I mean, so, it, that's pretty awesome though. Right. I mean, I think, I think it gives an opportunity for a lot of those store owners that, 
don't, you know, that they, you know, they have to, yeah, they, they buy a barrel and it, you know, may, may just sit in, you know, their, their store for a while until they can, they can move it. Not only that is let's, I mean, we can, we can be transparent here. You know, I've, I've had plenty of store picks and there's some that are great and there's some that are like, man, eh, they're pretty meh. Right. And it, you know, you can't always trust what a store owner is going to choose because they're not 100% bourbon all the time, right? They they have to well, be Well, and let's face it, some some of the store owners may not even like bourbon. I mean, you know, they they're they're in business to make money. So, you know, they need to find the best people or the best person to go and pick their product for their customers. No, I totally agree, right? Because, you know, they're, they they got to push the wine, they got to push vodka, they got to they got to push scotch, they got to push rum. So, yeah, they don't necessarily get an opportunity to just be all in on bourbon like we are all the time and you know, I mean, let's be honest, like I think most of us that, uh, you know, ourselves, as long as people that also listen to the show, I mean, we're we're drinking bourbon two, three, four, five nights a week. Right. So we definitely <laughs> I don't know if that means we have a problem, but it uh, it doesn't what? hurt. Right. As, as Eddie Absolutely. takes a drink. <laughs> let's let's move on a little bit here. So, you know, in regards of, of the store in itself, you know, I've, I've talked to a few different store owners, different parts of the country and. Some of them will say like, no, we're just too small. Like we'll never get like a barrel of 107. Like we're, we can only get Knob Creek picks and that's it, which isn't a bad thing by any means, but there is different levels of like volume that a store can do versus another can do. And they get more picks versus another one. Is there a certain level of volume that a store owner should know? Like before, like saying, like contacting a barrel picking group and saying, Hey guys, can you go do this? And I want to throw your sticker on, on this barrel and put it in my store. What, what the way that the industry is running and going right now, a lot of the distilleries are really severely cutting back on their production and or not production, but on their bar- private barrel picks and stuff. It's getting harder and harder to get in to do these. And like again, I said, you know, we've been very lucky for this year that we, you know, we've had the the number of barrel picks and stuff, you know, that the groups had actually turned down. Probably, you know, a couple of Four Roses, uh, you know, Elijah Craig and stuff like that, because, you know, that's what a lot of the people are doing right now. And, you know, I just want to do something a little bit different. And I want to get, you know, I want to get some other tastes and some other uh, juice out there that, uh, you know, that's possibly good. I mean, granted, we've, we've got stores and stuff that we can go and do Four Roses, Wild Turkey and all that stuff with. Reality of it is, is that the barrel picks, a lot of the uh, distilleries have shut down their programs right now. And it's, it's very difficult to even get in there. If you have to have a history with that distillery to be able to even get back in the program. Um, one good example is uh, smooth ambler, uh, old scout, West Virginia, you know, they shut down uh, their uh, barrel program and stuff. And the group was uh, very fortunate enough when they, started their um, Old Scout American Whiskey barrel program back because we had one West DuPont Wines in D.C., who's very good friends with them, the Johns down there. We were very fortunate for the group to be able to get in on the first couple of barrels when they started their program back. And that's just a prime example of having good contacts within your group and of being able to get stuff. So I, I guess that kind of rolls into a, a, another question. I know it's, it is definitely getting harder. Um, you know, when we go and do barrel picks, it's you even see less and less barrels that get rolled out for you to actually choose from as well. Right. I mean, there's just, 
I don't want to say they're being stingy, but they're definitely changing that. Uh, we actually had an episode a few, a few ago with Bo Beckman, who is the barrel trace or the barrel select manager at Buffalo Trace. And he, he kind of talked about, you know, they're sitting behind it of only doing four barrels while Wild Turkey does 12 barrels and so on and so forth. And then some places you can go and they're like, here's a DeWalt drill, like knock yourself out. Right. It's uh, it's definitely trying to figure out like who who is allowing you to do that. But in addition, you know, you said that you've turned down four roses, turned down Elijah Craig. Is there ever a time where you're just like, all right, like this is this is an abundance. Like, how do we slow this down? Because we can't do this many barrel picks either. We can't have guys traveling all the time or too much money. So, like, how, what do you kind of consider like a good amount of barrel picks uh, per quarter or something like that? If you're anything like me, then you can't get enough about bourbon. And that's why I'm a subscriber to Bourbon Plus magazine. Bourbon Plus is a quarterly publication that tells the stories from the heart of bourbon, the farmers who grow the grain, the distillers who labor over the process, and the people like you and me who raise their glasses to celebrate it all. Subscribe to Bourbon Plus magazine today at bourbonplus.com, that's P-L-U-S dot com, and use code PURSUIT at checkout for $5 off your subscription. Shopify's already taken the cash register online, helping millions sell billions around the world. But did you know that Shopify can do the same thing at your retail store? Give your point-of-sale system a serious upgrade with Shopify. Shopify's point-of-sale is your command center for your retail store. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify has everything you need to sell in person. And with Shopify, you get a powerhouse selling partner that effortlessly unites your in-person and online sales into one source of truth. Track every sale across your business in one place and know exactly what's in stock. Connect with customers in line and online. Shopify helps you drive store traffic with plug-and-play tools built for marketing campaigns from TikTok to Instagram and beyond. And get hardware that fits your business. Take payments by smartphone, transform your tablet into a point-of-sale system, or use Shopify's point-of-sale Go Mobile device for a battle-tested solution. Plus, Shopify's award-winning 24-7 help is there to support your success every step of the way. Do retail right with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash bourbon, all lowercase, and go to shopify.com slash bourbon to take your retail business to the next level today. Shopify.com slash bourbon. What do you kind of consider like a good amount of barrel picks uh, per quarter or something like that? I would like to eventually see a group or, you know, anybody that does a group, I think if they get three to four barrel picks in a year, I think they're doing very well. Uh, Russell's is uh, going to end up putting out their, I think going to start their rye barrel program next year, hoping to get in on a rye. We have not done a rye yet. I would love to do something like that. I'm just trying to do some different stuff. Uh, yeah. I guess kind of talk about that. Like what are some of the craft ones that you've been doing lately that like nobody else has really had an opportunity to do? We, uh, we actually had uh, this uh, last March, we were able to get into uh, Joseph Magnus up in uh, Washington, D.C., which is a very small craft distillery. Of course, all their juice right now is uh, source juice, and they make no bones about it. It comes from MGP uh, in Indiana. You know, they've harbored and produced some of the best juice and rye, uh, bourbon and rye out there. Did a uh, 10-year pickup there. You know, even though it's just straight uh, bourbon, there's no finishes, no nothing on it. It was probably one of the best 10-year bourbons I think I've ever tasted. We're also working with Boone County Distillery, which we did a, a, a barrel pick up here close to my home 
here recently. We did a 12-year MGP. It is phenomenal. It's bottled at barrel strength, which is going to be a 114 proof, along with having full mouth complexity flavor, man, it's just got that bite right on the end that, you know, a lot of people look for. There, there's several ones that I'm I'm looking at right now. I don't want to kind of mention some of them because I've got some set up for next year and stuff. I'm, I'm working with the owners and the head distillers and stuff right now, getting samples sent in to me. So, but anyway, that, that that's a couple rest right off the top of my head. It sounds like you might have a love affair with MGP over there then. <laughs> well, actually, MG, you can't you can't go wrong. I mean, you take Smooth Ambler, Old Scout, and stuff. That's that's where their juice comes from. So you know, that's one of the one of the. Yeah, I know. And you've had an opportunity to do Smooth Ambler, had the opportunity to do Boone County, you know, Joseph Magnus. So like, when you go to all these, and you're tasting MGP from a lot of different ones, right? Uh, like, have, how do you do? You notice a lot of like similarities or a lot of differences uh, based in all these different brands when it's all sourced from the same place. You know what? You would think that it would be similar, but it's really not. Barrels, according to where they're placed in the rick houses, and and they all age differently. They all have different, you know, complexities and different taste that, that comes out of the woods and everything. And um, that's what's so great about doing barrel picks because you can have two barrels sitting side by side in a rick house. And I'll almost guarantee you that those two barrels are going to taste different. And that that's the great phenomenal about going and, you know, doing these picks and stuff because, you know, you never know what you're going to come across. I mean, some of them may just taste like crap and the other ones are just, you know, the golden child. Right. No, I mean, at the same time, right. It's like if you're sourcing 10 year MGP or 12 year MGP, right. You like you buy it when it's, eight or seven, eight, nine years old, then it's trucked over and then it spends a few years in the wood and either West Virginia or in what or in DC or in wherever. Right. So it definitely has a little bit of those, those characteristics that'll change it um, over time. So another question coming from, uh, uh, let's say as a, as a member, right. Um, so if anybody was out there starting their own group and they're, they're thinking of costs, what, what does this cost go into it? Um, do you think could members, you know, what, what should they expect going into this? Is it something cheap to say like, oh, I'll just take a bottle this time, not next time. Like, like what's the, what's the, what's the, what, what should people understand if they want to do this? How committed you really have to be? When I first contact a potential member, one of my first statements that comes out of my mouth is, is that not a cheap thing to do. <laughs> so say, I was like, you want I need to see your W2 real quick. Is that what it is? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, I mean, I'm, I mean, I'm up front with them, you know, right up, I mean, right up front because it's, uh, I told him, I said, you know, I, and I expect, you know, activity. I want participation. And the, the second thing is you've got to trust people that are in that group because not everybody can go on a barrel pick. You know, they only allow sometimes three to four to maybe up to eight people to go on this. Those people are picking for the whole group. So the whole group has to trust those pallets of those guys to bring the best stuff back. Because a lot of times you won't get samples brought back that you can spread out to 30 people or 40 people and stuff. So, but I'm I'm very upfront that it's not a it's not a cheap uh, it's not a cheap thing to be in, and stuff. I mean, we've uh, us thirty guys and stuff here in you know last year and stuff. We've put out a good amount of money. Yeah, I, I so, don't disagree with that. But it is fun though, right? I mean, I think that's that is it. 
you have to understand that, you know, you know when, and, and, and you and you just said it right there. The whole thing about it is fun. I mean, you know, you, you've got to have fun being in this. You can't look at it as, oh, my God, you know, this is costing this, this and this. You know, if, if you think about the cost, you don't need to be in this industry because, I mean, they're, they're, even though we're getting cheaper stuff, we're getting better stuff, and you're going to want multiple bottles of it. Our bottle prices have ranged anywhere from 40 bucks up to over 100 and something dollars. So I'm not going to say the top price and stuff because I'm not going to give stuff like that away, but it, it's not cheap. And, and guys in the group, they buy one or two bottles, and most guys buy, buy the cases. Right. So there's definitely going to be and they, some people and, and they go through it. it very fast <laughs> <laughs> because you're like, all right, Eddie, come on. Time, time, clock's ticking. Like we need another barrel pick. Like I'm almost out of four, four of these bottles. Right. Yep. So <laughs> absolutely. Myself included. <laughs> <laughs> so um, I guess, you know, if you didn't know a store owner, is there any other way that you can get barrels or is do you think like that, that is your key to the city right here? Like there's no other way it's going to happen without, without having some sort of store connection. Well, you can you can go right to the distilleries, and they will. I mean, like I, I went to the Boone County one up here, and we actually worked out a deal to where you know I can buy, you know, I can do directly through the gift shop. But you know, mainly it's it's going through a store. I mean, it's all legal because they've got a liquor license. Though, so, I mean, that's the main thing is you got to have a liquor license. We don't do anything illegally. Anything that's purchased and stuff through us is always run through. Well, we're not going to say it on there. air, right? We just won't say it on air. No, I'm just kidding with yeah. you. <laughs> <laughs> that has that has a has a has a liquor license because you know there's people out there that's actually watching this and taking notes and stuff on all this. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, you know, another thing to to kind of set you know, are there ever like any ground rules of a group? So if somebody's starting this up and saying the guys reading Emerald on from 1789B and they said their only rules are no religion, no politics. That's a that's a pretty good ground rule. But like, what do you think is are some good ground rules to kind of understand that when people start joining this group, like what they should expect or any group well, when they start. I think, I think my main ground rules are is, you know, you always keep in mind if you're, you're part of the group, you're representing the group and 29 other guys. Again, you know, we're out to have fun. We're all adults here and we, we do barrel picks in different cities and stuff. And we have fun in those cities. I just think that um, a, lo- a lot of members that, you know, are joining groups, they need to, take a look at the overall group who's in the group and what the group is about you know if the group is about you know my group we do charity work we hope we're, we're holding back so many bottles from our barrel picks to do to sell you know to sell for auction for charities to give back to the community that's a big thing uh, that all all of us in our group um, we agree on that's you know, a that's a selfish. that's a really good point. Yeah, I, I kind of forgot to bring that up about you know having philanthropy be a, a a staple or a key staple of this group. But do you think like that's a that's a pretty good something that most people could they could always just take right? But it's always better to just give a little bit back. Well, and it is, and you know I think it you know we're we're gonna we're doing we've already done a couple of different charities, and I think members in the group have a uh, have a real closeness with a certain charity and you know we'll always take a look at that everybody's got things going on with family friends and you know different things um you know we recently helped out uh houston down in uh, texas uh one of uh, we've got a, a couple members down there the uh, group got together and got a bunch of money together and we sent it down to one of our members down there 
and told them to use it uh, the best that they knew how to help out in places that wasn't going to get any help. And that, to me, you know, says a lot about uh, groups and people that are wanting to help people that, you know, have had devastation. And that, that, that's true to my heart because a lot of these places, they don't get government help for months. And just to be able to go buy water, to buy food, to buy diapers, stuff like that, I mean, I, I think that hits home. Yeah, not only that. I mean, I, I think there. I read so much stuff about you know people in Houston. Like it's it's in a what five hundred year flood zone, right? And no nobody had flood insurance, right? So it was there. A lot of people, a lot of people could use it. Who knows? Maybe he took that money and gave it to a liquor store, and we're like, all right, next next barrel's on us, right? So <laughs> <laughs> this was actually a question from uh, uh, one of our Patreon members, uh, Amy Halter. Uh, she said, if there's ever any differences in opinion about which barrel to select. You know, because you're going to have, as you said, anywhere between three and eight people. So how does a large group actually handle selecting that barrel? We ask the distillery or wherever we're going to pick a barrel how many people we can bring. It can be anywhere, like I said before, it can be anywhere from three to eight people. And the members of the group going back have to trust each other. So we try to come to a consensus when we're barrel tasting. If we can't, on that tasting, then, you know, we'll do a blind tasting, you know, after that and say, you know, say we have six samples here and there's three of them that we really like. It's let's say one, two, and three. Okay. Then we take uh, the person that's, you know, we're doing the tasting with, we'll say, okay, we want to taste these blindly. Well, they may take us to the Rick house. They may already have the barrels picked or uh, set out there and we'll go there and taste those barrels blindly or, they can, we can leave the room for a little bit. They can reset our glasses up, taste that way too. We just got back from Nashville doing a uh, Bell Mead uh, Madeira cast strength uh, pick, barrel pick this last weekend. And this actually happened down there. There was eight of us, like uh, what I said before, we put two of them back and there was uh, five samples, we put two of them back. So there was three left. We couldn't really decide between the three, so we all just took a vote. We all t- retasted all of them, and then we took a vote. So the top ones that got the most votes is the one we went with. So and that's that that's 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 kind of the democratic way of doing things. Yeah, I guess the good thing about doing a barrel pick too is that if you have to go back and taste it, well, like, well, there's no shortage of it, right? Like, we don't have to worry about ruining or losing right. any of it. So, <laughs> right. have- and I actually got to bring, I actually got to bring a um, uh, sample back, which I'm going to kind of farm out. You know, some two ounce samples I could do. I think I got 200 milliliters because they've never had this, you know, pick before uh, bourbon before with the finish. I had neither. I went into it very skeptical, and literally, it just blew me away. You know, it's a cast strength at 111 proof. I think they put it out on the shelves at 90-something when they put it out in the stores. So nobody's ever done a barrel of this before. So this was very new at cast strength for everybody. It just kind of blew me away. So the eight of us down there that actually did this, I think we were just all in awe about, you know, the taste on this. Another good question, you know, a lot of people, they don't get an opportunity to go taste, you know, go do barrel picks, right? Uh, So they had to vicariously live through, you know, somebody like you or me or a store owner or whoever it is. And and one thing they always want to ask is, 
you know, like, how do you do your barrel picks? Like, what's your, what are you going through? Like, if you know something's gonna be bottled at a hundred and it's at 120 proof when you pull it out, are you like, well, shit, I'd rather have barrel proof anyway. So I'm gonna taste it like this. Or you're just saying like, all right, let's, let's be logical about this. Let's water it down. Like what's, what's your kind of your thought when you're going through and doing these, uh, you know, sampling out? Well, you want to, you want to taste it pretty much. Um, good example of this is, was our Russell's, um, tenure, uh, pick. I think we tasted the barrels at um, I'm thinking about 112, 113 proof, and and they will only bottle at 107. We always add a little bit of water, a couple drops of water to the bourbon, you know, see what it's going to taste like, you know, watered down a little bit. I think we got a bunch of proof whores in the in my bourbon group because everybody's loving the higher strength uh, <laughs> barrel proof stuff nowadays, and you know, you, you you're getting your Elmer T. Lee's at 90-something proof and all of these other bourbons, and it's like drinking water anymore. It's always good when you're on a barrel pick to try to drink uh, and taste the barrel at what they're going to put it out at. I mean, you're not going to get it exact. If you can get it close to it and just see if the flavor and the taste and stuff is still there, I think that's important. Well, good. That was actually a question from another Patreon listener called Catch Twenty Two, and uh, and kind of kind of add on to that. You know, there's a there's a huge craze with uh, you know NCF and non charcoal filtering or non chill filtering. So, kind of talk about like, do you do you think like that has any effect of what's going on, or you know, because sometimes it is chill filtered, sometimes it's not. You go to Buffalo Trace, you have to request it to not be chill filtered, and and whole crazes right now is like people want NCF kind of uh bourbons like kind of what's your take on that i think the non-chill filtered i think you're getting more true to the bourbon taste out of the barrel and i think that's more where people are gravitating toward because i i have a lot of guys that'll be on the picks they'll they'll say you know this is non-chill filtered right you know they're i mean they'll come right out and say that right in the beginning right now i'm with you on that uh and then uh catch 22 has another question he said do you have a do you get a feel for like how many bottles are going to be in this barrel yield before you do the pick or do you even care at all? Like if you can roll it and you can feel there's just a few gallons in, or do you roll it and feel whatever? Uh, well, like, they connect the distillery connect, the distillery can actually weigh the barrel and they can, because they've been doing it for so long, they can pretty much tell you, obviously the older the barrel is, you're getting, a, there's going to be a difference in 10 year uh, bottle output 10 from 10 year bourbon than 12 year or 14 year just because the angels share it, you know, it, uh, taking that, but they can weigh the barrels and, and pretty much give you a good, you know, guesstimation and how many bottles or cases are going to come out. But you don't care. Like if, it, even if you do sample it and maybe it, maybe one yields a hundred bottles, maybe one yields 150, like, does it, does it matter to you at all? Nope. It, it does not matter. Um, you know, the, the, the proofs in the barrel and the, you know, the taste and stuff is in the bourbon. We take what we get. We have, done a guesstimation before of 150 or 200 bottles and they've come in at 50 bottles less or 60 bottles less. So we have members that, you know, uh, include myself. I gave up, I think like 18 bottles on this, uh, old scout American whiskey one, cause it came in short. We were guessing on that one was going to be over 200 bottles. It came in at 162. You know, you got to go back to your members and say, Hey, you know, we we're taking, uh, people that, can give up a few bottles here and there. And generally guys in the group and stuff, you know, they step up and, uh, and again, that's what the brotherhood's about. You know, everybody gets some bourbon, everybody gives up a little bourbon. 
Right. Absolutely. Uh, Chris has another question. Uh, so Chris, Chris J is another uh, Patreon supporter and he says, uh, do you see an advantage to tasting at the distillery versus having them just ship you samples? My answer to that is yes. Number one, it's a, um, it's like anything when you go to a winery or wine cellar or whatever, it's an ambiance. And I think it's an experience when you go there. I preferably like to go to the rick houses and actually drill barrels they may have i'd really like for them to pull eight to ten barrels to sample when we're going to a distillery i always usually request that we'll see if, you know the request gets honored it's it's such an experience to go and do that and take the drill and go into the barrel and you know put a little air hole at the top and have that bourbon come out into your glass and everybody filling their glass up you're really tasting right there truly what the bourbon tastes like and there's i mean to describe the taste is just you know you can't hardly describe it i mean it's just unreal how it tastes i agree because it's it's also just the ambiance the setting being in the rickhouse the smells are all there like it just seems like all these worlds are colliding all just perfectly right so it, that's what it well, feels you've like got, and you've got all, and you've got all your senses and stuff you know you're hearing you're hearing the uh the wood crack you're hearing the drill go into the barrel, you're smelling the bourbon, you're seeing it. I mean, you know, it just, it, it kind of really um, advances a lot of your, you know, extrasensory stuff with your eyes and your smell and all of that. And I think that's a big part of it. And that that's, if anybody gets into a barrel buying or picking group, I mean, that's one thing that I would suggest is, you know, always request to to go into the Rick House. Now, some of them won't. They've got a tasting rooms and stuff like that, and they won't do that. You know, a lot of these distilleries have become, you know, per se corporate. And the corporations, they don't want people in the Rick Houses, and, you know, it's too dangerous and stuff. But there, there's still there's still some good old boys out there that will take you into the Rick House, as you well know. <laughs> <laughs> and then uh, kind of uh, another – there's kind of two follow-on questions to that one. The first one is, is you know, when you're – you know, let, you could you can go and pick a barrel any time of the year, right? You can go of the the high heat of summer, you can go in the dead cold of winter. And for me personally, you know, I, I think uh, when we actually picked out the Russell's Reserve barrel together, it was a little chilly that day. And I don't know, like you've done a lot more barrel picks than I have. Do you ever feel like there might be some sort of other factor that's playing into it where like the bourbon's colder, so it has maybe a different, um, you know, characteristic that it's it's easier to – um, to taste that day versus on a super hot day or anything like that? Well, I think, you know, if you're going into the Rick house, I mean, obviously when we, me and you went in to do that Russell's reserve pick and, you know, we tasted samples in the tasting room. Then we went up to the Rick house and I think the bourbon had a little bit different taste to it because it was cold. I mean, I like drinking my, I do not use any water or any type of ice with my bourbon. I'd always drink my bourbon neat. And, I think you're, you know, you're getting the full flavor of the bourbon that way. If it's a little bit colder, and I mean, I always uh, kind of cut my hand around the glass when I'm in the rickhouse. If it's cold out, I want to warm that bourbon up a little bit. I think I think it does change the taste of it a little bit for me. I mean, uh, you know, again, it's all personal preference. 
Yeah, just a kind of a funny story for everyone. I remember when we did this Russell's Reserve pick, we go into this tasting room, and I think we've got, I mean, there was way more than eight people there that day. I think we had like 12. But Eddie oh, brought us Eddie brought us out like, I don't know, somewhere on like 30 fucking samples, it felt like. It was a ton. And so we're all sitting around tasting, and we narrowed it down to, I, I believe it was like three or four. And this is also, it's yeah. it's it's winter time, right? We had in the We had to have it in the the tasting room because they were like, it's too cold. Like, you don't want to be in the Rick house. And we're like, all right, you know, whatever, we'll do this. And so we did that. And then there was like three left, but, you know, with 12 people there and like 400 mil bottles or whatever it was, it didn't go very far. We're like, well, I guess we got to go to the Rick house, right? So, so yeah, everybody got the opportunity to go to the Rick house and drink out of there straight. So it was a, it was fun. But I think I remember at that point going like, I don't think we can pick a bad barrel at this point. Catch-22 has one more question to ask in, in regards to that. You okay. know, you, you kind of talked about what some some distilleries do versus what some don't do. You know, some have tasting rooms, some allow you to go to the Rick House. So in your opinion, go ahead and feel free to name names or shame anybody. But like, who does the best job at providing uh, picks distillery-wise that you've done? I have to say Wild Turkey does a phenomenal job. Uh, Eddie Russell, you know, we had, um, we got a, had a member in our group. Uh, that was childhood friends with Eddie, grew up with him in school and played football with him. And Eddie just provided a great, great experience down in Wild Turkey for the guys in the group and stuff. We had a lot of our members and stuff that showed up that day down there. And, um, and I mean, even Eddie, he he had more than one with us. And I think he uh, he kind of was feeling things right after uh, we ended up going up to the Rick House also. There's different experiences with different uh, – distilleries out there and and that's the whole fun thing about it is um you go to if if it was all the same it wouldn't be fun i mean you, you go to different still distilleries and they do different things and you know and i think that's what's the great thing about it is you go and ex- you experience all these different things at the different ones and you know you're picking out a great bourbon and it's different people there you know i've met anywhere from head distillers to just people that they have in charge of the tasting to owners and, you know, and it's pretty much across the board, you know, you know, if you've got an owner that's helping you with this, um, you know, example is Boone County up here. I, the owner spent all day with me and extremely nice gentlemen. They're getting their distillery kind of, you know, up and going. Uh, they first started putting out 10 year bourbon and now they're putting out a 12 year bourbon uh, that's, you know, just barrel select uh, for that. And, uh, you know, and I've tasted some of the rise that they've done. Uh, it's only been in the barrel for 18 months, but we drilled it. And, man, is it good. It's, you know, give it some years in that barrel and it's going to be phenomenal. And I think you pick up different experiences at different distilleries. Absolutely. And so it also kind of leads into another question, like catch 22 had a a question. I'm going to kind of like rephrase it a little bit. Um, So when when you're doing these experiences, you know, what have you found like some that do better than others? You know, you kind of talked about uh, Boone County had all day there. Um, When we did Russell's, I think we had like four hours. When I did a a Buffalo Trace pick, I think we only had like 30 minutes. That was the window, maybe 45 minutes an hour, whatever it was. It was a much shorter window to pick out a barrel. So what, what do you kind of see is like, how long do you really have to choose a barrel at some of these places you go through? Like how much time do you think you can spend nosing it versus actually tasting it versus going and retasting it? And then saying like, I don't want any of these, give me a new barrel, right? Well, to me, if you're spending thousands of dollars to buy a barrel, you better well have enough time there and not be rushed 
to be able to pick that barrel because if you're rushed and stuff, I mean, that, that would probably turn me off right there because you, you want to take your time and really pick out, you know, the best, one of the best barrels that they have that presented you to, to taste. And again, if they don't have any barrels there that myself or any of the guys that go with me on the barrel picks that we really like, we say, you know, hey, you know, is there other barrels and stuff that we can taste? And if they say no, then, you know, hey, we talk, we turn around and walk. And, you know, we're not, we're going to, we're not going to spend thousands of dollars on buying something that, you know, that we don't like or that we're going to put our name on. Our name doesn't go on anything that, I mean, that doesn't meet, you know, my approval or approval of the guys in the group. You know, that's, that's the good thing about it is, you know, we're, we're, we've all got good palates and we feel like we're picking the best of the best out there. And, it's it's a different experience with you know each place you go to and so uh catch 22 had another good question is like when you're getting ready to go do a barrel pick do you use like a control bourbon like before you go in you go are you in the trunk or your car like saying like all right we're gonna we're gonna drink some elmer tea or we're gonna drink something and this we're gonna have that be your control bourbon so we're just not going into this with a fresh palate or something like that uh no the answer to that is no you're doing yourself a disservice and stuff and doing that you're tainting your palate uh, on this last pick down in Nashville for the Bell Mead pick, one of the guys actually requested some dark chocolate from the gift shop to, you know, cleanse his palate out and stuff after each taste from each sample of the bourbon. I just think that if you're tainting your palate with another bourbon or another distiller's product, then you're you're not you're not doing your group or, or whoever's going to be buying those bottles uh, a good service on on tasting what you know actually what you're going to be getting. That's a good answer. Actually, it's a fantastic answer. Um, and so we'll uh, we'll kind of wrap this up because, you know, we have you have talked about, you know, a lot of the big guys, Wild Turkey, Four Roses, Buffalo Trace. But, you know, you're looking for a lot of other things that are out there. And I think for anybody that's really getting started, like that's a really good avenue uh, to not say, like, let's just go after the big dogs, because let's let's think a little like you said, we're thinking a little bit differently. Like what's something unique that maybe nobody else has done. Um, and so when you're when you're thinking about those other distilleries, you know, are those guys, I wouldn't say guys, but are those distilleries a lot easier to get on maybe their, their short list or their select list of barrel picks rather than trying to, you know, you know, I guess go all out on your first one and saying like, we got to go do four roses or we're like, we got to get a Weller 107, whatever it is. Well, let's just say that when people started distillery guys or, you know, even I, I see even couples starting distilleries. They want their product out there. They want good reviews on their product. And yes, the answer to the question is yes, they are easier to get into because they want exposure for their product out there. And whether or not that they're actually producing or they're they're buying their bourbon, the source bourbon, to get started with, which a lot of distilleries have to do, in the meantime, because, you know, they, they, they want their their own distillate sitting in the barrels for a few years. But they, they want the exposure. And they're they're very – I think they're easier to get into. I've already got contacts with probably two or three for next year that are craft distilleries. And they put out a fantastic product. I mean, I've, you know, I'm, I've, I've had some samples. I'm getting some samples sent in. Again, I'm not going to say who it is. You know, they're all over the country. And they're more than willing to work with you on things. So, 
Right. Well, real cool. Well, Eddie, I want to say thank you again for coming on the show tonight. I also want to let you kind of give a plug for the group because I know uh, it's happened a few times already, like new membership spots open. And so how people can follow the group, how they can ask to be uh, a part of the group. Um, uh, Catch 22 wants to know, is there an age limit for what you consider for picking? Or is it just if you're over 21 and you got a good pal, you're in, right? So. <laughs> well, basically what I, what I tell people, and we, we've got numerous people, and I mean, we have spots that uh, come open every now and then. I'm keeping the group limit right now to 30, 30 people. You know, people can always send messages through our uh, public page on uh, Facebook. We're on Facebook. We're on Instagram. We're on Twitter. And uh, they can always message, uh, message me on there. And I can get that. Um, you know, we, we've had a couple membership spots open and we were just swamped with, you know, people that wanted to get in the group. And I mean, it's a good concept. And, you know, I think people recognize that, you know, we may have 10 or 15, 20 people that are trying to get into one spot. And it's hard a lot of times to, you know, pick the one person and stuff. So, you know, to be able to, you know, become a member of the group. But no, there's no age limit. I mean, obviously, I, you know, you got to be 21, but. Um, you know, I'm, I'm getting up there in the years. I'm probably one of the older, older ones in the group, you know, starting the group. But, uh, and the main thing is we're going to have fun and we're going to have fun doing what we like to do. And drinking a lot of bourbon in the process, right? And drinking a lot of bourbon. <laughs> yeah, actually I kind of, I realized I kept, I took catch 22s and kind of spun in the wrong direction. Cause I think he said, uh, do you have an age limit for what you consider picking? Like if, uh, if, you know, whether it's a, a good six year or a good, 10 year like does it matter oh, the okay. age yeah so um i figured no I mean, right I've, yeah, we, it's, we, it's good it's good I mean, we've we've been out there and we, we've tasted barrels that are young it just it depends on it depends on the the taste of it and you know let your you let your palate do the talking for you tasted 20 something year old 30 something year old bourbon that tastes like crap and you know you think the longer and the the older that is the better it tastes that's not necessarily true so, and I mean, Kenny, you've been in this long enough to know that, you know, you, you can taste a younger bourbon and, and still be fantastic tasting and you can taste a, a 24, 26 year bourbon and, you know, it just, it's all woody and it just has no taste to it at all. Yep. I mean, just like when we did the Castle and Key pick, right? So we got to go and put down basically some new make, got to put in our own barrel, write our names on it and we'll kind of just monitor it over the next almost Maybe a decade, maybe a half decade. Who knows, right? So yeah, I mean, I mean, who who knows how long we can let it sit in there? I mean, we're just going to keep tasting it, and you know, we'll 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 know when it's right. I think to bottle. Right. Well, cool. So Eddie, I want to say thank you again for being on the show tonight. Uh, it was a pleasure, especially for all those people that want to understand like what barrel picking groups do. What does it really take to start one? What are the kind of key components that it does? And I think you uh, you answered a lot of those questions for people too. So awesome job. No, I appreciate you having me on, Kenny. You got it. So if you like what you hear, make sure you follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter, Bourbon Pursuit. Also, make sure you follow the Bourbon Cartel on all those great social media channels. If you want to help support this podcast, make sure you check out Patreon, P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com slash Bourbon Pursuit. Uh, I want to say thank you to, we had, I think, up to four or five different Patreon viewers that were on here asking questions. So being a Patreon member got you in here to actually be a part of the podcast and ask questions in real time. So I want to say thank you to those people that uh, that were able to do that. Uh, if you have any more show suggestions, fan mail, things you want to talk to us about, uh, send us an email. It's the duo, T-H-E-D-O at bourbonpursuit.com. And with that, we'll see you all next week. Mm-hmm.